Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. We have a fantastic episode for you this week. Actually, it's a replay of an interview that we did in January of 2020 with Ali Webb, the founder of Drybar. Now, there's a couple of reasons why we're posting a replay of this interview. The first one is, is that we know our audience has grown and also transformed a bit and their roles have transformed over the past year. And this conversation is so powerful because Ali shows up vulnerable and real and talks about the real struggles that she's had and, and the triumphs as a leader in a giant company. And we're just so grateful for how she showed up. And it was such a gift for me in my own business and leadership. So that's the first reason. The second reason is in honor of Valentine's Day, Ali Webb is Adrian's girlfriend. And you get to learn a bit about their, the dynamic of their relationship and what an incredible person she is through the podcast, throughout the podcast episodes. And so in honor of Valentine's Day, I thought it would be really fun to replay the interview we did with Adrian's Valentine. Now, before we jump into the interview, I want to let you know there's a link in the description of this podcast. If you feel stuck, if you feel lost, if you feel like you are out of resources in any area of leadership, any areas that we explore on the podcast or beyond, I want you to click that link, take a look at the content that's on that website and get in touch with us. There's a place on that website you can get in touch with us. Send us a message and we'll reach out. We'd love to help you figure out what it is that you're up against. So go ahead and click on that link if you if it so applies. Otherwise, enjoy this interview with Ali Webb. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the conversation. I'm your host, Chad Brown. And as usual, I am here with my two comrades, Adrian Kaler and Dan Takini. How are you, fellas? Hey, doing great. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the Naked Leadership Podcast, where no conversation is too risky or precious to have. Today, we're having a conversation that I've been anticipating for a while now. We have a guest that is just going to take this conversation to another level. Ali Webb, welcome to the conversation. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. And so I'm going to start us with a dreaded question. Are you, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, great. The dreaded question, at least for me, and I think a lot of people share this, the dread for this question, but I think it's a great window into how we present ourselves to the world. So the question is, Ali, what do you do? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> um, wow, what do I do? Well, um, I guess you could say I have found companies. Um, I start companies. I, you know, I think I'm kind of a natural born entrepreneur and I, I, you know, I'm kind of usually bubbling with ideas or I have been most of my life. And so I, I think I kind of naturally am prone to things, to making things that exist better, um, or wanting, you know, seeing a need and wanting to approve something that exists that, that I might love that I think could be done better or differently. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not in the day to day grind the way or weeds that I used to be in dry bar. Um, you know, my life today looks very different than it did 10, five, seven years ago. So, um, my, my daily life is, is quite different than what it used to be. 
if that answers your question. One thing, I, one history I will give is that you founded this thing with your brother and with your husband and ex-husband and um, from the ground up, from, from nothing. And so you took, from what I'm picking up from your stories, you took this journey from literally opening the doors. I love when you tell the story of you being in the front chair and doing the hair that first, like whatever, six months of opening dry bar just because of the chaos of it. So going from that, literally doing the blowouts Mm -hmm. to this leadership role over a franchise nationwide, multiple, uh, I don't even know how many locations you have now. Um, What is it? 140. 140. Do you remember a moment when the weight of leadership, like when you recognize that weight, what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, it started from the very beginning. I mean, now we have 4,000 employees, but that weight was very evident in the first, you know, the first 13 hires. I mean, we, I was hiring people like they were coming to my house and blow drying my hair in in my living room. And that's how I hired the first handful of people. And I had never really managed that many people in my life. I I didn't have, I had always worked for other people. I'd started little businesses here and there, but it was always just myself. But so it it was, it was immediate, you know, from the second we opened the doors, I was all of a sudden managing people. And I think that's when I was able to leverage kind of the life experience that I had, that I, that I had, you know, earned over the years of of working for other people. And I worked for a guy who owned a, a hair salon and I learned and I worked, you know, at a more of a corporate job when I worked in PR and uh, I worked as a hairstylist. I did so many different things that I, I so wholeheartedly believe led me to be able to lead, which <laughs> I don't even know that I would have articulated it like that. You know, I was just running this shop and, and also from watching my parents run their business and my parents had their own business. So they, I saw how they treated people and their employees. So it just was like, I was very much thrown into the deep end and all of a sudden, you know, managing all these people and having to figure it out uh, as I went and just drawing from, you know, the, the previous bosses that I'd had and taking the things that I liked and respected and kind of, and making it my own. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was from the get go that leadership, you know, I, I had to, I had to figure it out. And I, and I do remember those moments in the early days being like, are you looking at me for the answer? Because I don't fucking know, but it was like, well, you have to know. And and I remember it so well. And I remember also like my, the first person I had to fire and being like, again, like, Oh shit, I have to do this. And, um, and I have to, in order for us to continue thriving. And so, yeah, that, that leadership role was thrust upon me very, very uh, early on. And it definitely took them (laughs) a lot of missteps and a lot of learning and growth to, you know, to, to find my footing with it. I was going to say, get good at it, but I don't know that that's appropriate. I think it's more finding your footing and being able to just step up to it. Yeah. Like, uh, like being familiar with the territory and being able to navigate it, but you don't have it figured out till you get in there. Yeah. For, for you, what was the biggest pressure that you felt like? What are the things you, that you, when you started to respond, you went, Oh, this, I don't know. I, I know like, was it, what for you, what was it? I think it was keeping my employees happy. You know, I felt this, this enormous responsibility that, and, and I, and I realized very early that if, if they were happy, everybody would be happy if, you know, and, and I dry bar is a very employee f- focused brand and, and our stylists are what make 
make it work. And if our stylists are amazing and great and happy and fulfilled, the whole, the whole thing kind of implodes. And so, and I think instinctually I knew that. And also having worked in the hair salon, I knew that. And so I think I felt an enormous pressure to keep them happy and to make sure they had what they needed and that they were heard and that they, they loved being there. And, and, you know, that was a challenge because it was like, you can't be their friend. You have to be their boss, but you can, but you kind of want to be their friend because you want them to like you. And so how, how do you, how do you walk that, that line? And that was something I had to, yeah. to work on and, and figure out. And I know I made a lot of mistakes in those early days trying, you know, going too far in one direction or the other. And then also learning different, paying attention and learning different styles of what different people needed. I learned that some of our stylists needed a lot of praise and some of our stylists needed a lot of freedom. So, you know, everybody kind of needed something different. And I think figuring that out was, was really important to me. And, and I, you know, I really bent over backwards to make our employees happy, you know, maybe too much at times. Yeah. Yeah, I I ran a tight ship too, you know, so it was, um, it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah, it's like a tension, like we we're talking about. Who did you like? I really related to what you said. You want to be friends, but you can only go so far. So right. who did who did you turn to, or who do you turn to, to talk about the things you can't really talk about? The people you work with every day, like. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that was my my brother Michael as my business partner. A lot of conversations about managing people in those early days, and and as the company grew. Um, still very largely was my brother. But then as we, when we brought in the CEO, which wasn't until about four years into our company, he really became a mentor for me and somebody to, to talk to you about how to, how to handle situations. Because at that point, you know, it was a much bigger ball game and there was so many more employees. And now there were execs that I had to deal with and people who were, you know, had a lot more um, power and authority and decision-making. And, and so that was a, that was, you know, managing that next level up was, was much more challenging than managing stylists. Uh, you know, managing <laughs> upper management is, is, is filled with, you know, a lot of ego. And uh, <laughs> that, was, that was really challenging for me, more so than managing stylists. How come? Well, because, you know, they were, they were, uh, I have to remember this is a public conversation. Um, <laughs> um, just, just spell their names. You don't have to say them, just spell them. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it was, I, I think that I very much related to our stylists and what and how they felt. And I, and I understood what they, what they wanted and what they were doing. I had never, I'd never been an, an exec. I'd, I'd never been like a, I never worked in that capacity. So now I'm, I'm dealing with these, this level of people who are arguably smarter than me in a lot of ways and had run businesses and, and knew how to scale and grow businesses in ways that I didn't. So it was this like push and pull of like, and I, and I mean, and I know for me, my ego got in the way too, because it was like, no, 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 I have all the answers. But meanwhile, we hired you because you're smarter than us about, you know, putting systems and operations in place and stuff I don't really know anything about. Um, and so, you know, allowing, you know, this, these like higher level management people we, we brought in to actually run things and make it make decisions and not micromanage them. I think that's why it was hard for me because it was uh, letting, I think it was letting go of so many of the things that I had done and, and frankly not doing all that well. Um, but still this was my baby and, you know, yeah, that, that 
I, there's, that's really the founder's dilemma, isn't it? I mean, the it's your baby, you grew it, and then because it's really an exception to the rule that somebody can not only be the founder but can come in and be the CEO at the same time. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was really a lesson that I I learned from my brother Michael, which you guys should absolutely talk to him too because he'll have a very different perspective on things than I than I do. <laughs> but you know, he he was really my brother really doesn't have any ego, and he's he's one of the few people I feel like I know in the world that just, he's just not driven by ego. And I remember having so many conversations with him about like, we've got to bring in people who know what the hell they're doing, because this is like, this is bigger than us. We don't know how to, uh, how to manage this. And, you know, for, I was doing payroll and like, that was a disaster. I mean, there was just like so many (laughs) things that I was doing that were, I was, that were so out of my scope. And, And I think that, even 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 a task like that, and I can I can make a joke about it now because I'm not sensitive about it now. But I was that, you know. I was like, no, no, I can do everything. I came up with this idea, and I I can I can do it all. Mentality, which I you know, my brother really made me see that you know, like yeah, we can, we not just me. He, he couldn't either, you know. He was also very quick to step aside when Castaneda, our private equity um, partner, wanted us to bring on a professional CEO, my brother was the first to say, yeah, I get it. That might be the, what we need to do. Where I, again, <laughs> I had an ego for my brother and said, no, no, <laughs> we can't do that. What are you talking about? So, yeah. Yeah, it's a big one, right? <laughs> yeah. I wanted, and and it, do you remember that time, that transition? Because I know that that's a big deal for people. Because like you said, it's your baby. So it's like, giving your baby away. Um, did you go through any kind of disorientation or kind of wonder what you're going to do next? And Yeah, I was very, um, I think the best word to describe it is bratty about that, that change that Castaneda was pretty adamant about us making. And ironically, Michael already had known that Castaneda was, was, was um, thinking about wanting to eventually replace Michael as the CEO. And I, just felt like this was going to ruin the culture of the company. And, you know, if we brought in some ivory tower CEO that they were going to be so disconnected from the people and they weren't going to understand the vision and they were going to change the brand and the company. And I was so scared and I was so like, you know, holding on so tight to this notion that that, that's just going to be a massive mistake and everything is going so well. And, you know, at that point we probably were at like, mm, I don't know, maybe like 15 or 20 stores and it still felt semi-manageable for us to do. And, and then I, you know, and I had met with a couple of, I reluctantly met with CEOs and, and Castaneda did all the vetting and diligence and then would send only the best candidates to us. And I, I remember sitting down and talking to these people and being like, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. Like these people are not going to work. And, and it wasn't until we sat down with our current CEO, John Hefner, who's now been in place for over five years and he awesome. really did the vision and he had worked with founders before and he, you know, he made this great analogy the first during our in our first interview with him that he was like a we're a three legged stool and without all three of us, they, this whole thing doesn't work. And and I remember just like sighing a breath of relief, relief, and thinking like, okay, this guy gets it, and he's not going to come in and change everything. He's going to like lock arms with us, which is really what I needed to hear from somebody coming in, which I wasn't hearing from from the other candidates. So. So we took the plunge and brought in the C, you know, professional CEO. And, and, and honestly, it was probably one of the best things we ever did. 
Did you have going into that process? Did you have criteria like that you were looking for? Was it was it? Did you have like a list? This is what we're looking for in a CEO, or was it more? How do they present themselves? How do I feel about them? Do they get our brand? What? It's all of it. Yeah. yeah, everything you just said. I mean, it's it was certainly like, you know, first and foremost, is this person going to come in and understand the brand? Is this person going to work really closely with Michael and I? Is this person going to not try to? you know, reinvent the system because I, we have, we had a very like proven concept and what we needed was someone to come in and, and, and have a lot of respect for the brand, have a lot of respect for Michael and I and the vision, and then to come in and, and put systems into place and, and be able to grow and scale our team. And, and that's exactly what, what John did is he came in and, and kind of dealt with the minutia, if you will, of the stuff that Michael and I weren't great at. And, and, you know, Michael and I aren't great managers of people. And, and Michael will tell you that, you know, it's like, that is a, that is a skill that not everybody has in managing people and knowing how to, you know, give people autonomy and not micromanage and not something that I'm great at or my brother, but, but John certainly was. And, and I think we could kind of tell that from, from the interview process. And, and it turned out to be true. You know, he really has I always tell him he should be a politician because he's got this like way of just, you know, calming people down and um, making people feel really empowered. And, and I think that's why it's worked out so well. I'm, I'm curious, Allie, as you're, as you're reflecting even on it now, were there conversations that, you know, didn't happen whenever, let's say John came in, there were conversations that didn't happen and maybe even knew they were to happen, but, based on what was happening at the time, you didn't have them for whatever reason. Were there that you, that you saw later that, oh, wow, that was one I missed? Yeah, I mean, I think that there was, uh, there, were, there were a lot of, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously speaking in very broad terms, and there were a lot of, um, uh, God, situations where, because John gave people so much autonomy, you know, we had instances where, you know, a person who was in no names, but a person who was in a very like high profile role in our company, you know, was, uh, gosh, I don't want to say going behind my back, but kind of, you know, running, taking the ball and running with it and doing a lot of things. And, you know, not, not like necessarily looping me into things as much as I would have liked. And, and, and I think she felt like, you know, she had the autonomy to do that from John and from everybody. And so then, you know, there were, I, I found myself very frustrated in that process of like, why aren't you talking to me about X, Y, and Z? That is something that's very important to me. Why don't you know that's important to me? And, and then, you know, I, I would go to John and complain about that and, you know, and say, you know, this is, this is happening or this, somebody changed this and I didn't, nobody talked to me about it. And so it was a lot of, a lot of that as we hired, higher execs to come in and I, and I, <laughs> I had a lot of frustration around that because I didn't, you know, I just, I, I had a really hard time accepting that, that people, that there were uh, decisions being made that were, that I wasn't being consulted on, that I felt like I should be consulted on. And, and that was a conversation, those were conversations that John and I didn't have. Those were ones that we figured out, you know, as we went, which really caused a lot of strife and turmoil because I was, I was kind of going into John's office all the time and saying like, what the fuck? Why, why did this happen? And why did nobody tell me about it? And he would be like, Allie, we can't tell you about every single thing that happens, which of course I was like, 
yes, you can, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and then there's times like only like a few weeks ago, I, I was with John and he said, and I was complaining about somebody about something and he's like, no, they actually sent you an email about that. I was like, no, they didn't. And he, he's like, really, can you check? And so I, I checked in and there was an email um, from this person and I had to kind of put my tail between my legs and say, I'm really sorry. And um, anyway, you know, so yeah, there, there's a lot of, there's so much nuance in, in that, you know, senior level exec uh, team. And, and we've had a lot of issues with that. And I think that as, and then, you know, for my, my, before even John, my brother was still the CEO and we had hired, um, you know, president of retail that we had, we had the same issues. It was like, she was running and going and doing, and I was like, why, why am I not being consulted on all of these things? And, and, and I think, I think in retrospect, what would have been what I now know, which I would, you know, now do is like have those conversations up front with whoever comes into my company and say, here's what's important to me. And here's what I think is important to the company from me. And here's what I don't really care about. And you can go do what you want with those conversations didn't happen. And I think they caused a lot of problems. (laughs) A lot of stress. Yeah. What kind of interpersonal stress and what did you notice where because i can imagine in that transition the demand on you personally and your brother but particularly you what what kinds of demands what kinds of pressures did that put on you interpersonally where did you see it start to you know what did it illuminate and what where did what, what were the prices gosh i was so frustrated and angry a lot you know mm-hmm. and i i can remember going into stores and just feeling like on fire because this things weren't the way I wanted them to be. And, and like, I wanted to kill somebody about it, you know? And so it created all this angst in me and which, which turned into anger that, you know, I would go into stores and I would fire off emails that were (laughs) pretty inappropriate, you know, but I was just mad. And I was like, you know, and then it's like, we're paying this person all this money. Like, why aren't they, you know, and that was, that was when we, we did start to figure out, okay, like, let's, you know, let's have Allie walk the store with so-and-so to make sure that like the things that she sees and the things that are important to her are being addressed, you know? And, and, and so a lot of, and, and my, <laughs> I remember my brother, like after I'd send an email like that and my brother would be like cringing because those emails were so harsh and be like, you, you know, you can't send emails like that to people. It's really deflating. And, you know, my, I was so like focused on it. Like, I don't really care. I just, you know, want the, the stores to be the best they can be. And, and that was a tough, you know, pill to swallow. And again, I think it comes down to like ego and, um, and, and not being a great leader at that time. And, and, um, and being, you know, just so all consumed with the end result that I, you know, I wasn't, it was very short-sighted. You know, I, I now realize that I wasn't going to get a great result out of people if I wasn't, you know, addressing things in the, in the right way and not making people feel, you know, ashamed of, you know, what I had seen in stores. Um, and, and I, and, and I took it very personally, you know, it's like, well, why, why don't they care? You know, why don't they care as much as I care? And, and I think that's a, you know, speaking of a founder's dilemma, you know, I don't know that anybody, I don't, I don't believe anybody will ever care as much as I care about driver. Yeah. I think people care a lot and I think people are paid to care and I, and that's great and that works and that goes so far. But, and and those were great conversations I had with John too, where it was like, there's nobody who will ever see the store the way you see it. And so, you know, 
that's that's part of your value is making you know getting people to see what you see which is which is almost impossible yeah a lot of pressure how about into how about in your family what kind of pressure did it did you feel in there well i mean i you know gosh i feel like not to get too personal but i do feel like i'm paying for that a little bit now um you know with my kids and things coming out about that you know i was on a i was on a rocket ship and i was moving very very fast and i was i was it was so intoxicating you know to start this business and to get all this attention and accolades and and then the excitement around it you know it was like driver was a dream i didn't know that i had and and when we started we there was so much excitement and so much energy about it and I was very lucky that my mom, who had, you know, only recently after a couple of years after we started driver, divorced my dad. So she, we moved her, you know, basically any within like five miles of anywhere we lived. And, and because, and she was like, so excited. We were all so excited. We were like, holy shit, we started this big business and we're so successful and we have to like, you know, keep going. And, and that largely fell on me and, and, and I'm not complaining. I, I loved it. And, you know, my, yeah, you know, my kids were young. My kids were like three and five, and it was a uh, it was a decision that I didn't really give a lot of thought to at the time. I was just like, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, this is an opportunity that I think will serve my whole family to be able to grow this business, um, and I want to. And I got so excited by it. It was like it was like falling in love, you know. <laughs> and I loved every second of it. But I think it did take a toll on my children and the time I was gone all the time. I was traveling all the time when I wasn't traveling all the time. I was thinking about the business all the time. And, um, and again, in retrospect, I realized how, how, uh, a lot of things, you know, in my life took a toll, which I didn't even notice until probably two years ago. I mean, I, I didn't, it didn't even like, it didn't come into my orbit until about two years ago that I realized, Oh shit, my marriage is like completely falling apart. You know, my, I think there's some stuff, there's some suffering with my children on this, like, Oh, but I didn't see it then. It was just so, it was so moving so fast. Yeah. What allowed that to come into view? Uh, well, we had, we had, uh, a lot of things we had moved, our, our corporate office is in Irvine, California, which is about an hour away from LA. And we had moved, my brother lives in Costa Mesa. So we had moved our corporate office to Irvine and kind of started hiring everybody in that area. And Cameron, my ex-husband and co-founder, and he's like the creative kind of mastermind of, of the business. Uh, he, you know, he had built out a team, but he was frustrated because he felt like it was easier to find great talent in LA. And so we, uh, we decided, and at the same time, this was about 11 stores in, we, you know, there was so much excitement being built around the business. We'd opened a bunch of stores in LA, but I was living in Orange County now. And so I was driving back and forth to LA a ton. And I was really frustrated with that and wanted us to go back to LA. And so I, I decided to, you know, talk my brother and John into, you know, us going back to LA and we, we divided the offices and we became like a small satellite office in uh, studio city. And then we saw the office in, uh, in uh, uh, Orange County. And, you know, I think it was during that time that I, I think I started to kind of come into my own a little bit more. And 
um, started to, I was, I was kind of like, I broke out of the nest, you know, from being, I had shared an office with my brother and, you know, I was with my brother and John every day. And now I was, now I was sharing an office with Cam and the creative team. And so, you know, I think around that time, my, um, my day to day started to switch. And because now we had hired, we had a full, you know, senior exec team and I wasn't doing the day to day the way I was. And so that, you know, that process kind of slowly happened over time. And once we were in this new office, you know, my, everything kind of started to, to shift in terms of what I was doing. And I think really just by not being in that office anymore, um, I just wasn't as attached to things. I couldn't be, you know, I wasn't in meetings every day that, I mean, when you're working in a big office, there's impromptu conversations and meetings that happen all the time. And I just wasn't involved in those anymore. So I think that like, that started to kind of like, uh, put a gap between me and a lot of, um, a lot of the, 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 the team in dry bar. And so I think that's when it really probably began, which is, Good question. No one's ever asked me that, but I think that's when it, it happened. And, uh, you know, and I think that I, it gave me a little bit more time and freedom. And, and I think I, I was able to self-reflect a little bit more than I had ever in the past. And I think during that time was when I was like, Oh, what am I doing? Like, I don't know. Um, and I, you know, I think that's when I started to, to realize like there was some problems in my marriage and, um, you know, I, I, my, that's when I started to, you know, realize there were some things going on with my kids. And, and I think it was because I had this, a little bit of space from, from the office that I, you know, I think I, I started to take more notice and pay attention to what was happening for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a lot of the leaders I talk to too. They talk about the loneliness of those transitions, like, yeah, and that the, um, there's kind of like to lead a business is that you're going to be in some alone quite a bit until, you know, because there's certain things you can't talk about or you're not going to talk about certain things you don't want to talk about or afraid of. And it's pretty common when you were talking about, because I, I, when I, I read an article and you started the business, did you start the business in your home? Like you were blow drying well, the first business I started, it was called Straight at Home, where I was going to people's uh, homes and blowing out their hair, which is what led to the idea right. for Trevor. And was Cam involved? It's like the family was involved along the way, right? Cam, nobody, that was really just me. You know, uh, I, was, I was operating that business for under a year when I went to Cam and Jamie. And, you know, um, I heard that. That wasn't me. Um, <laughs> when, when I realized, like, there's it dawned on me that there was a pretty massive hole in the market and that I, we should turn what was my mobile blow dry business into dry bar. So that, that, yeah, that's how that happened. Yeah. I just wonder, cause I know that if the family's involved early and then it takes off, sometimes I know it happened in my family. You can feel people can feel left behind or, or uh, not part of it like vitally like they were before. And that produces a whole new level of loneliness. Cause now not only, can I not talk to too much? I can't tell all my personal stuff to people at work, but now I'm disconnected from my family because there's upset about how they participated and, uh, or they're going to participate, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, we, we certainly had that. And there was a lot of, um, it was pretty clunky in those early days, you know, figuring out, uh, gosh, you know, especially from like a, a press perspective. And I don't know if this is the kind of area you were, necessarily wanting to go but for for us it was really interesting you know this is my idea this is my baby but I, you know i 100 percent could not have done this without 
yeah. my brother and my ex-husband. However, you know, I was getting all, all the attention and I was getting all that, you know, the praise and I was doing all the press. And so, yeah, I mean, that did also show up for us as like, you know, you know, yeah. I don't think my ex-husband loved being at like parties with me and people coming up to him and saying, you must be really proud of your wife and him being like, oh yeah, she's great. I had nothing to do with it. You know, I mean, that was the sentiment. And so... <laughs> Then, right, that's right. I mean, it makes sense because these things are so, like you said, they take off and, and relationships where they're going to go and relationships change in the process. And if you're not aware of them, the aloneness just grows even greater. At least I've experienced that, that keeping up or staying connected is not the easiest thing in the world. It's a huge challenge. But yeah, and, and in terms of that loneliness too, what that makes me think of is, you know, when, when we were, when I was still working in Irvine in the office and I remember I would, I would approach it very differently today over what I've learned looking back because I, I did feel isolated and I felt like I couldn't be really very vulnerable with yeah. how I was feeling. And the fact that I didn't have the answers, I kind of had to pretend that I did. Yeah. And, and that tactic I think worked more in the stores because I really knew that and like nobody could take that away from me. But being in a, in a, in a company of the size that we were with, with really smart people who had done, you know, had grown and scaled massive companies, you know, I, I was like, I can't, I have to seem really smart, you know, and if, and if I don't, what are they going to think of me? Where now I think, again, if I had it to do over again, I think I would have shown that vulnerability and that like, yeah, I don't really know the answer. I used to kind of, you know, have this like, no, 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 I know everything, um, which I, which I regret. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And that, that I can imagine that way that that felt when you're making decisions and hoping like fingers crossed, this is going to work out. Right. Yeah. And, and it didn't always. And I, and I, and I'm, you know, when I think back to some of the conversations I had and some of the emails I sent and things that I did, I'm like, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, but I learned, you know, I learned, some great lessons along the way of how to, how to better, you know, deal with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm curious about. Cause I mean, along the path of our work and the coaching work I've met and worked with a lot of people that have gone from like freelancer or like solopreneur into an entrepreneurial space. It's a very different conversation where it, where it, it grows and it goes without me around or without the person around. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm curious about. Like as, as it became bigger than you, and then as you started teaming with people that, as you said, are like super smart, very capable, but as, as kind of if, here's what I'm curious, like if you were to let them go, like do what they wanted to do, I'm guessing for you, there was a feeling that they were going to take it someplace that you wouldn't have taken it, but then you didn't know how to represent or talk in their language if they came in from some kind of other corporate thing, which you'd not done before. Right. Like how, how did you manage that tension with them interpersonally? Like dealing, essentially the conversation, like dealing with outside professionals that speak a different language that you know is a good idea for them to be around, but based on your own, where you're coming from, there's like some inherent uh, vulnerability with that. How did you talk with them or find language to get you guys aligned or maybe where you didn't? I didn't, you know, I wish I, I, I wish I had, and I, and I, and again, looking back, I feel like what a missed opportunity for me. I mean, I, I you know, I, I did and I didn't. I think I, I think I, I fumbled through it 
uh, a bit. And I, I, you know, uh, gosh, I mean, there was, I think had I had those conversations and I I alluded to this earlier, if I had had those conversations uh, early on about, you know, my expectations, what was important to me, what wasn't important to me, or if they had had those conversations with me and said, Hey, Allie, what's important to you? What can I do to make you feel at ease? Which, you know, those did, those did come. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a fear that they were going to a like mess up what I had built ego. And then, you know, and then it was also, it was also, um, you know, like, again, I think it was, like, why don't they want my opinion on this? Like, why don't they need it? And again, I guess ego. Um, God. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> sure, I'm sure there's some ego in there, but but I it's a it's a it's care. a legitimate it's a legitimate concern. I mean, because there it is true that they are very competent, but if they're that competence can also be very dangerous if you take it in a direction that doesn't right. work, right? I mean, so. I mean, that is a real tension. I think that, and you're so candid and so open. I mean, it's amazing how just in this conversation, I've been moved by just how honest you are with yourself, which I think is really the, one of the fundamental principles of, you know, of a successful entrepreneur is just that being honest with yourself and then you can learn and recover and go further with it. And I I, I think that's a legitimate, legitimate concern really. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's so interesting talking about it now with so much time and space between it, you know, at at the time, I mean, man, so much turmoil, so much like, like pain in it. I was so frustrated and upset. And, and I was, and to your point, I was like, you, you know, um, you know, you're going to, this, this deep seated fear that someone was going to, you know, hurt the brand and mess up the brand where I just don't see it like that anymore. And, and, and that, you know, Michael and I have had so many conversations about this. And I remember him saying to me, it's okay if they mess up. And I, and to me, I was like, well, if they mess up, like the whole thing's over, like the business is done. <laughs> you know, it catastrophize that thing. But, <laughs> but, but I'll bet you, but I'll bet you though, you're speaking out illuminated the values that you drive and you're driven by and they probably took notice of them i'll bet well and i and i think that that was a healthy tension and i think that was something that that i you know that i felt a a push and pull with with you know with john and our board and talking about that it's like how how far do i take this you know it's like yes you guys have to recognize that you know what i think and feel and see is unique in a way that nobody else will. And so we have to put value on that. And they did. And, and, you know, I think that was how, that's why the partnership with John was so great. And frankly, the partnership with our, you know, with Castanea and, and Steve Berg, who was, who's our kind of like runs the Castanea group for us. And, you know, and, and they, they wanted that for me. They didn't want me to roll over and just say like, say, yeah, okay. Like do it however you want, you know? So that was, um, you know, that was so, so much learning in that. And, um, and, and figuring out how to, how to navigate through that. And I think like there were situations where I was certainly in the wrong and there were situations where I felt like I was right. And I, you know, in, in terms of like hiring and firing people, you know, I'm, I'm a really big believer in, you know, hire slow, fire fast. And <laughs> I don't think a lot of people share that mentality. And I, I came up against that a lot with our, you know, our, our management team of like, on the higher on the higher side or the on the fire side or on both the fire side. side you know yeah. like it's not you know and it's not that i don't believe in second chances or that people can change but they can't change without 
some some sort of intervention, something happening. And I felt like we we were like allowing things to go on for like longer and longer than they needed to be. Where I'm like, let's just fix this and move on and let's make a change. And um when that was a that that has always been kind of a frustration for me. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't have direct ownership over that piece in a lot of instances. So I was like, you know well, I can ima- I can imagine. Because as the organization grows, it moves slower, and you. Are- <laughs> oh my God! Yes. I mean that. Yeah, I mean you know because when we had like two or three stores, you know, Michael and I would send an email out, and boom, boom, and then all of a sudden it was like, you and Michael can't do that anymore. It's like, what do you mean we can't do that anymore? And, and, and it comes like the government. You have procedures around here. Oh, I hated that. I hate procedures. I hate systems. Mostly, you know, it's funny. Most executives or entrepreneurs do they're like they're great at putting them in but they don't like honoring them themselves yeah i'm the visionary you That's guys right. figure that out you know right. <laughs> which yeah. which by the way i, I like I, that was a lot of therapy to be able to even say i'm the visionary you figure out the rest because in, yeah. in my mind in those early years it was like no you know i was really trying to figure out like who i was in this business and as the founder and you're and so much you know, like I was saying as like, in terms of like accolades and press and attention that I got, it was like, you know, I must be really smart and really great at everything to have started this business and to be so successful. And it's like, I really like, would like relish every opportunity to say, no, 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 I don't really know how to do that part over there. Somebody else does that because I, mm-hmm. I wanted to give credit where credit was due. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a hairstylist and I really understand the hair business and I understand people, but I, you know, I don't understand you know, a lot of the spreadsheets that are people are showing me, you know, I yeah, don't yeah. really care to understand. <laughs> Ali, I'm really curious in that process of um, picking your battles, not, not your words, but mine, when you're, when you were talking about, no, I'm, I'm taking a stand here. This is, I'm not moving on this opposed to, okay, I can, I can give in here. How do, how does that decision, how is that decision made for you? What process do you go internally to, to make the decision whether you're going to stand or, or I, I don't know the term, but, but go with it. Yeah. I, I, huh. You know, I think, I think it was the things, I think there is a handful of things that felt like the nearest and dearest to my heart and the things that were most important to me. And I, I think I tried to uh, figure out what those things were and, and really stand my ground on those things. And then, the things that were, you know, I could, I could delineate that were a little less important that I, I would let go. And I did, you know, I mean, there, and there are a handful of things even to this day that are, you know, things that I, I, I hold on to very tightly, you know, and then there's a lot of other things that I have let go. And so I think it was like kind of, you know, taking a step back and saying like, how important is this to me personally? And how important is this to the brand to make sure that, and, and knowing that if, if this thing suffers, whatever it might be, then the whole, then we're in trouble, you know, and, and those things that I felt very responsible and for were the things that I, you know, I tried to, to really take a stand on. You also talk about your admiration for John and his leadership in the company. I'm, I'd love to know what, what leadership aspects you appreciate about him. What do you see in him that allows him to, to lead the company in a way that you're proud of? Well, unlike Michael and I, 
we, you know, we are very reactionary and, you know, sky is falling, catastrophizing. We're both like that. And we perfect founders, right? Our, like, you know, we are, we always have knee jerk reactions and we're always, you know, like, let's go into fix it mode and, and John couldn't be more opposite. And I, and I think Michael and I both recognize that when we, when we first met him, that John has a very like calm, let's think about this for a minute before we react. And I'm always like, what, what's there to think about? You know, I mean, that's like kind of my, <laughs> my response to John and, you know, and, and like, let cooler heads prevail and all that shit, you know, and I just, and all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't subscribe to that, you know, and, <laughs> and you know, still don't I, apparently. Still don't. Um, although I see the value in it. And I think that that, that, you know, that rub between Michael and I and John was a really important one. And, and in terms of his leadership skills, he, he did bring a certain calmness to the organization. And we always said that it was like, there was now an adult in the room, you know, five-year-old playing soccer, you know, that everybody was fucking kicking the ball and nobody knew what was going on. But whereas John was able to come in and kind of say like, okay, let's take a step back and let's look at what's working and what's not working instead of always being in this, like fix it, fix it, change it without thinking it through. And, you know, and that's just not a skill set that I, have I think my you know I my brother has that probably um, a little bit more than I do but we we do have this like let's just we know the problem and we know the solution so let's just act on it where John's is like you know let's let's slow down and then let's also give you know people the opportunity to, to figure it out as well and we don't yeah. always have to like be the savior and the hero which I think is something that I I kind of liked you know i liked being able to walk into a room and, and solve the problem for everybody you know and, and i still like doing that but i i recognize and i really think john really helped me recognize that like and as well as my brother there's so much good advice that's come from my brother as well that you have to allow other people to to, to make mistakes yeah that's a big one yeah, one of the things i mean one of the things i think anybody that's around you ali adores about you is you've got like a very a uh, very impressive sense of class and taste. And it happens, you know, and it, that's an intuitive skill of yours, right? Like it's, it's been there for you. You probably don't have to learn that. It's been in your bones forever. Like, you know, kind of what works and what looks good and what feels good. And maybe that was from learning that watching your parents. And I know their, their care and concern for the customers back in their stores. Um, one of the things we talk about in our, when we work with clients is pr- usually what people do intuitively, they teach really poorly because you don't have, because you don't know when you learned it. Right. So you, it's not like you went, went through all the steps to learn it and then you know how to reverse engineer it. Or you forgot it. I mean, it's like unco- yeah, the unconscious competent, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. What didn't even occur to you as a step process, you just kind of um, have it. And so I'm curious for you as you've, you know, rightfully so stood up for the customer experience, stood up for the little details when you walked into all the stores. Um, how did you know, how did you manage that? Like getting, cause there's a, there's a, there's an alleyness in the dry bar that is the magic of it, right? There's a lot of reasons why dry bar wins in the, in the culture, but there's an alleyness there mm-hmm. that people love. So how, even now, I mean, in the role that you serve now, like how do you language that back to the team um, as you're trying to make sure that that scales? Cause that's kind of, that's the magic of the place. Huh? Like how do you work it into the DNA, right? Yeah, no, it's such a good question. And it's probably the, the, 
you know, the Holy grail, the hardest part. Uh, Don't die. That's what I'm saying. Don't (laughs) die. Grab bars going down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think, uh, I think it's, I, I, I so strongly believe that I think you're right. You can't teach that stuff, which is frustrating to me, but um, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of the lead by example scenario. And I think that, you know, people who are, are, are hopefully watching and trying to emulate what I'm doing and seeing how, you know, for me, like when I would walk into a store and I would start cleaning the floorboards and people would like be mortified. They're like, why is she doing that? I'm like, because they're dirty, you know? And that was, that's the answer, you know? Yeah. Somebody, you should have been doing it, but I'm going to do it. And I think that that mentality of like, I'll do anything you know, um, my hope is that that would, you know, without me having to spell it out, would be recognized from, you know, our managers and our staff that like, oh, well, you know, you have to, you have to, nothing is beneath you. Um, And and so, you know, for me, I, I have always felt this responsibility to, you know, to lead by example and to show, show the people around me that like, there's, there's no job too small and, and, you know, and to observe the way I talk to people. And, and I've been in the stores, a million times and given real time feedback and coaching to, you know, our bartenders who are our receptionists and, you know, like when the store is really busy and they're, they're checking out a client and there's another client waiting and then three more clients walk in the door. And, you know, one of my very big pet peeves is not establishing eye contact with that person just to make them feel acknowledged. And, and, you know, that's, that is a skill that is, uh, that a lot of people don't have. And that's something that's important to me. And I'd say that when, when it all calmed down, I'd say to them, like, you, you know, how, how would you feel if like you walked in a place and you just, you were ignored, it doesn't feel good, you know? And so giving that, that feedback back and that, and I, and I've tried to do that. And what's that? But is that a skill or is it a, an awareness? Well, I think it's an awareness and, but I think it, it can be some, it's something that you can learn you know, that, that can be, you know, if, if you, you it, it, it becomes very practical, like, okay, when someone walks in the store, I, I look up and say hi to no matter who walks in the store, th- then I think it, it becomes a skill as an awareness, like, you know, being aware of like your surroundings and making, you know, for me, I can also, I have the ability to walk in a store and just watch customers faces and know who's happy and who's not unhappy. And I, it's again, something I've tried to teach managers, like really study women's faces or go up to them and ask them questions. They get an idea of who's happy and who's not happy, like being aware of what's going on in the stores. And yeah, that is, that is, that was the biggest, is the biggest challenge is like getting our, our employees to pay attention to what's going on and really care. And and that is something that I don't think that you can teach, or at least I don't know how to teach it. Um, You know, making people care and have, you know, a, a sense of like what's working and what's not working in any given moment. But None of that matters if they don't really care. And for me, the best managers we've had, and and we have a lot of them who have said things to me, like when they're talking about their store and they're excited about whatever's going on and they'll be like, you know, so at my store, blah, blah, blah happened. And then they'll say, oh, no, no, I know it's not mine. I know it's yours. And my reaction is, no, I want you to think of it as as yours. And I want you to take ownership Mm -hmm. in it. And I think when they feel that ownership is when, you know, the store really thrives. Yeah. I ask it because when we're in a room with executives and doing like an off, off, uh, off-site type training, we'll do an exercise to get them to think about where people get results from. And we'll write up this, this uh, formula. It's like intention plus mechanism equals results. 
And then we go around the room and people talk about what the what percentage do they think is intention, what percentage do they think is, is mechanism. And if you've got 10 people, you've got 10 different answers. And, you know, a lot of times, especially from high-level executors, they, uh, they double down on mechanism, right? Because they'll think it's like, this is how we get it done. Strategy, 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 execution, that's all that matters, blah, blah, blah. Um, and part of this conversation um, and part of what I hear you saying is as when your intent, when your intention is clear, because when you walk into a store, you know exactly what matters to you. Mm-hmm. His intention really comes out of mattering, right? Like I give a shit that this, that this well, yeah, out of what you aim at, right? She's aiming at something very specific, right? That's right. And then the mechanism follows that. But if that's not clear, that's why like a lot of the, people we work with, like they keep trying a different mechanism, but the intention wasn't ever clear, wasn't ever tidied up with, we're not following up to make sure everybody's aligned around what matters most when they show up to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they keep trying to put a new process in place or put a new procedure in place, but they haven't slowed down and had the conversations needed. And when you intervene with like, let's say you walk into a store and there's a challenge, whatever the the challenge is, like where do you, do you where do you take that conversation? when you're talking with somebody? Gosh, I think historically I've tried to um, personalize it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but you know, yeah. I've tried what do you mean? What's that? Yeah, what do you mean? I mean, like in terms of like how would, I try to put them in, in, in the shoes of like, how would you feel in this situation, yeah. you know? Like I said about being ignored when you walk, like, does it feel mm-hmm. good to you when you walk into a, a, a store and nobody talks to you? Yeah. You don't like it. So why would you do it to other people? You know? Um, or, you know, I've also used the analogy with my employees, like, you know, treat the customers like it's your best friend or your mother walking in the door. Like there is just being a level of respect that would be there that you don't, you wouldn't fake it. It's just there, you know? And so, so I've, that's what, how I've always approached it. And it's very personal bringing it back to them because I, I felt like if they understood it from that point of view versus me just saying, here's how you should act and here's what you should do. They, that's kind of in one ear and out the other, I think, but, but having this like, Oh, I see, I can see it because I know how, how it makes me feel. Yeah. Is, is yeah. kind of how I've always approached it. Yeah. It, not surprising to me. Because, you know, as you're in, as you're in the initial store and then started to scale out leadership and as you were, as it was small enough that you got to be the person that was really orienting the top leadership at the time, which are probably store managers, you got to essentially indoctrinate them in your level of concerns and what, what you noticed, what you didn't notice, what matters, what, you know, the priority structure. So you got to really, you know, I'm thinking about uh, Neo on the matrix where it's like he gets plugged in and <laughs> you get to kind of... <laughs> the program them on what to notice and what to care about and what to do about it and how to even see themselves and see their potential. Yeah. Um, of the Im- impact they can make on a woman's day, month, w- life. Yeah. But it is, it's tough because it's a hard, you know, there's a million of those scenarios that I, I can't affect, you know, and, and that's where, you know, the challenge is. And, you know, it's like, I, you know, when I walk in the store and I see, you know, the vents are dirty or the chairs aren't like lined up or a myriad of things that I see that, that bother me. Um, 
that's a hard, that's harder to make that personal. Like, well, do you like it in your house when your vents are dirty? Like, I don't notice when my vents are dirty in my house. So, you know, so I don't, I don't know the answers on that. And I think therein lies like one of, one of the biggest challenges of growing a company of the size and scale of dry bars, you know, there's 4,000 employees, you know, that's a, a lot of people um, to try to manage and, and some, some get it and see it more than others. And, you know, and that's where, you, you know, we put in like, you know, d- district managers and, and that type of role to be for them to be the eyes and ears. I also believe that when you're looking at the same four walls every day, it's it's almost impossible to see everything the way I see it as with fresh eyes, which is why then we bring other people in to help right. out those things. And yeah, I don't know. I don't have all the answers on that. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, it's, it's interesting to, I mean, it's really interesting to hear how you navigate those waters and, um, you know, you talk to founders, you've most, a lot of your friends are founders, entrepreneurs at different places in their journey. Some just starting out, some that have scaled really powerfully. And by the way, people, everybody should listen to Allie and Michael, her brother's podcast called raising the bar. Um, but I'd love to hear about like, as, as you reflect on your own story and your own journey, and then as you have a lot of friends and then people you invest in or people you interview, what are some of these, I mean, there's a lot of like cliche uh, type podcasts out there and cliche type conversations around how to scale a business. Um, and what, one, of the, one of our convictions here is to get to the, like the, get underneath the water. Like what are the conversations that represent the tensions out there that become business solutions, but they all are represented by some kind of struggle internally for every leader. Mm-hmm. And as you, as you relate to our friends with guide, and everybody wants your time and energy and your expertise. Uh, what are what are some of the like unspoken that you've seen some patterns of like uh, the challenges that people are going through that either don't have a space to talk about, um, don't have the willingness or the courage to talk about? Like, what what do you think is that kind of we would call it suffering, which might be a heavy term for people, but that tension that they're in that if people found a space to talk about it, both they would feel more. Uh, alive and feel found and be able to like maybe even live inside the business longer or even make more of a difference with customers. Like, what do you think some of those conversations are? Oh gosh. You know, I mean, I mean, I, what what springs to mind is, you know, the, what you just really, I don't know if I want to talk about this, but um, (laughs) the, uh, you know, what the situation that just emerged with a way, uh, you know, if, if you read through like some of that dialogue and the founder was very frustrated and her people, that's, that's like real shit, you know, and did she address it the right way? No. Do you talk to people that way? No. But those are certainly, I think as a founder and you just want, you want everybody to feel the way you feel and you want everybody to care the way you care. So I think we all collectively, collectively have that frustration of, why don't they care as much as I care? And why don't, you know, why don't they recognize, you know, the risks that I'm taking as, as a, as a founder and and all the money and blood and sweat and tears and sacrifice that go into this. Um, Because I think, you know, especially in today's society, I think founders, including myself are put up on a pedestal and there's like, there's this like celebrity around it. And, um, and it's like, you know, but it, it is, it is, uh, it is, it is, it's a, it's, there's so much, you know, that we're putting out on the line, you know, in terms of money and time with our kids and things that, you know, that I talked about before that I think I really sacrificed. And I think 
a, a, a conversation that I think comes around a lot is when people who are working for us, and I'm being very vague here, are, you know, frustrated with how we're doing things or how we're choosing to manage and lead. But like, you're not the one that has everything on the line here, you know? And I, and, and I think that's, that's a conversation that I think I have with a lot of my friends who are founders that, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's this like entitlement um, that we get, you know, that, yeah. that we feel from our, from our, from the people who work for us, not all the people, but, but certainly a handful. No, I, I know. And I think that's a real tension. I know when I, I had a, you know, 22 year business and there's no way that, anybody who hasn't put that kind of time and energy in can appreciate the at stakeness or the sense of vulnerability. And, you know, they have good intentions, but they, uh, you know, the, the idea or the conversation that they know better comes back very easily because it's a lot easier to spend your money, mm -hmm. a lot easier to, and to spend your time. And if I make a mistake, they don't, you know, if I work for you and I make a mistake, you, they don't, I don't yeah, see like what you have to recover. What kind of press comes down? What kind of customer complaints come down? What kind of liabilities occur? The mental anguish of like, when you clock out, yeah. quote unquote, you don't have to think about this anymore. I do. Yeah. You know, I will spend uh, until I close my eyes at night. I will, I will be thinking about this. You, you probably won't. So I, you know, I think the conversation, Yeah, you don't have to worry about your pay. Like I worry about your pay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, like, you know, with great, with great, what is the, the term with great with power? Our, it's great responsibility. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's like a real pressure um, that, that I know I feel, and I feel like a lot of founders feel um, is, you know, it's keeping people around you happy. Not, I'm not even talking about customers right now, you know, I mean, that's a whole other ball game, but there is, there is that like, you know, you want the people who work for you to, to love you and to want to work for you and to want to be a part of and, and, and share the, the vision and something that you feel so passionately about and, and they don't always do that. And they often like leave you to go do something else. And that's really frustrating, but you want to be happy for them, but they left you and you spent the last two years grooming them. And ugh. well, they left you and started a business to compete with you. How about that one? Yeah. Yes. I mean, that is, that has happened. Yes. Many times. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. With, with anybody who's done anything unique or, you know, powerful, so, you know, the, it's natural. So I, I've seen it a million times. Somebody spins out and, they start their own after you've trained them and given them, you know, your secrets and they're there. Yeah. They and you know, and it's like, it's a double-edged sword because I, I feel like, you know, I, I feel harshly. I feel really proud of them and yep. excited for them that they're doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like what the fuck? I gave I'm you sorry. so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm schizophrenic. I'm proud of you and I hate you. And <laughs> like having a kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, and even people who aren't starting other companies, you know, I have felt a real like, sense of loss when people have just left my company, you know, yeah. um, I have, you know, a handful of employees that started with us in the early days and, you know, in the last couple of years left and I got it. I understood why they were leaving. I, and I knew that it was the right time for them and the opportunity, but yet it still like hurt me. And I, and I think that's another thing that we all talk about is like, Oh, we just, you know, we want these people become your family. They become your friends and you want them to stay around and be a part of it. But everything changes and, you know, and that's, that's also a tough adjustment when you're still in the thick of it and you're not walking away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's something that keeps a lot of leaders and business owners, founders, CEOs from investing in their people, right? Is like that question of how much do I invest in these people? 
because we don't know their level of commitment to the company. That's something that we run into in our work or a lot of conversations, at least that I've had. Um, and, you know, cause one question that we ask is how do you invest in your people or, or do your people know that you invest in them and what's the evidence of that? Yeah. I mean, for me, I've never, I would never hold back. I would never, you know, not invest a hundred percent in somebody that was what was working for us. You know, even if, even if we, they were going to turn around and, and, and leave in a, in a short amount of time. I mean, I, I mean, that's also me just probably me because I'm, I'm a bit of an open book. I mean, I've also basically given the playbook of my business to strangers who come into dry bar and just want to talk to me about how I started and grew in the business. And, and I mean, such a specific example that happened to me when, when we, we just had Brentwood and a lady came in and was taught and, and I talked to hundreds of women about my vision and why I wanted to do this and all of that. And, um, and, you know, just one of the many, uh, I got a letter probably about a year or two after we opened our first location. I think I still have that letter. And she's, this woman was like, you know, I came into Brentwood you talked to me for such a long time. You were so gracious with your information and your time. And I've now started my own blow dry bar. And that was when there was not really much competition. And so I, I mean, I, I, I was like shocked that I was reading this letter and I knew about the company that she was talking about. And I was like, I can't believe, you know, this woman would, would do that to me. And subsequently there ended up being this whole like interview that I did where this woman and the same woman was featured in the same article as me. And I was like, oh, I mean, I lost my mind when this article came out. Because <laughs> I was like, she stole everything from me. Um, and you know, and, and I was, I was so upset about it. Um, but, you know, it's, it, and in the long run, and this was like such an interesting lesson that Michael and I learned, it was like, nobody was ever, ever going to be able to duplicate what we've done. And I, and I still very firmly believe that. I a hundred percent believe there's, there's a secret sauce in, in what we do and how we did it. And even, even if I tell you everything I did and I know, I, I don't know that you could even do it. And, and that, that's something that we learned, you know, after a lot of anguish, mental anguish, um, around that, but realizing that there's, you know, this was a, this was a very unique thing that we built. And, and now we talk about it very freely because now we realize that it's, it's pretty, it's pretty tough to duplicate. Yeah. Well, they don't have Allie. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> or Michael or Cam. That's right. Or a whole nother team of 3000 people, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ali, you've been so generous and I just want to thank you for jumping into a conversation that aren't, this isn't the easiest type of conversation to jump into. And we don't script these. We didn't send you questions ahead of time and you showed up. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a refreshing conversation and an interview I haven't done a lot of, you know, talking about these things and you know, probably therapeutic for me in a sense. <laughs> for us too. <laughs> you know, to just talk about these things that, you know, I haven't really thought about in a long time and how, yeah, probably, and perhaps it will help somebody because I, I really would have done things, you know, some things differently along the way that I think would have yielded some pretty great results. So I have a final question along those lines. Okay. My final question, if you could go back to Ali driving around in the Nissan Xterra, probably spending more gas, more money on gas than she's making in her mobile blow dry business. <laughs> you did your research. <laughs> what would you hope or, or what would you want her to understand? And then the second part is Allie 
10, 15, 20 years from now, what do you not want her to lose? My God, those are such hard questions. Um, well, I think the, to answer your first question, I think I, I think I, yeah, if I had known now, if I knew then what I know now, I think I would have, you know, saved myself a lot of anxiety, um, and a lot of, uh, stress. And I think I would have, I would have approached the business differently, probably from the get go in terms of my, my, my own sense of, um, God, not what was right and wrong, but how do you, you know, that the sky isn't always falling and, and that, um, the, the, the sense of, I have, I have a major sense of urgency really in all areas of my life. And I need things to be, I need things to be like, have a bow on them and I need to understand how everything is going to turn out. And I think that I, I think I, if I, I would have been very helpful and advantageous for me to be, to not need, need that. And to know that it's all going to really be okay and work out. And it's all, it's, you know, that I didn't need to, to put so much unnecessary stress, um, on myself and the people around me, you know, I mean, to a degree, I think there's also a healthy, you know, piece to that, to that, to driving and having a sense of urgency, but also knowing when to pull back. And so I think I probably would, would do that a little different. And I think I would have learned, you know, the lesson quicker about, um, you know, allowing other people to come in and help me and, and, and having a sense of vulnerability. I mean, I didn't even really know what the word vulnerability was until a couple of years ago. So I certainly didn't know what it meant. So now that I understand that I, I would have, you know, I mean, like where was Brene Brown 10 years ago when we were starting dry bar? I mean, that would have changed a lot. You know, I don't, I didn't have that when we, when we were starting and I also didn't have anybody else to look at, you know, I mean, there, yeah, I, there's so much conversation around like female entrepreneurs and, you know, and I, I do feel a certain kind of, um, you know, responsibility to, to, to do interviews like this and to talk about this stuff because nobody was talking about it when I was starting, there was no resources for it. So I think, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but I think, uh, you know, having some insight into that is, it could be really helpful to someone starting out. And future Allie, what, what do you not want her to lose? Or maybe there's a better way of, of stating that. What, what is it about Allie? What is the sauce that you hope continues on into whatever's next for you? Cause you're not done. Definitely not done. Uh, I think, you know, I think now after everything I've learned from, from my experience with dry bar and now building these other businesses is that I am so much more able to allow other people to, to do what they're great at. And I think that was, that was certainly a huge lesson I learned. And, and, and it's very evident with our, this other business that we just started squeeze with um, Brittany Driscoll, who's our, who's our CEO. And she was our old head of marketing at Drybar, And, you know, she's really run with it. And I've really enjoyed watching her, you know, take on the responsibilities and deal with the, you know, be in the weeds the way that I was at Drybar and being able to advise from afar and, and weigh in on, on things, but not have to be in the weeds. And, um, I, you know, and, and I have brought, you know, I have a, I have a team of people around me who, you know, do the things that I'm, that I'm not great at doing now. And I recognize the value of that. So I think I will bring that lesson with me in no matter what I do. That's great. Um, how can people interact with you more? Tell us where you're at. Well, let me give you my cell phone. Uh, <laughs> um, my Instagram is Aliweb at Aliweb, A-L-L-I-W-E-B-B. Um, and our podcast is raising the bar, which is, you know, a similar, well, not similar to you guys, but we are talking to entrepreneurs about growing and scaling their businesses. And it, you know, it's my brother and I being 
brother and sister and very candid and silly and fighting and all that stuff. So that's a good time. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, lots of, you know, new projects are coming. So we'll see what's, what's ahead for 2020. Fantastic. Well, we will link all those in the show notes so people can follow along and have fun with you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, my pleasure. This is really fun. Yeah, thank you. Really enjoyed it. Get to know you. Yeah, you guys are great. Good luck with the podcast. Thanks, Thanks. Ellie. Thanks, Ellie. Can we have you back at some point whenever you've scaled your next huge business and then you're on to your next big business? Can we have you back? Oh, sure. Okay, great. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, sure. Oh, why not? Why not? All right. Thanks, Ellie. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.